tether the fork, we're gonna tether the fork, the mother sucker, tether the fork, the sucker. A tether the fork, we're gonna tether the fork, the mother sucker, tether the fork, the sucker. A tether the fork, we're gonna tether the fork, the mother sucker. So I went crazy with the mothership. <laughs> and that's why I think it's named like that out of space so you can space out. You know, Star Trek bound. It was an excuse to do all kind of brand new slick stuff. But with the funk is the funk. I planned for it to be a historical record. At the beginning of 1975, Gerald Ford was president. The United States and Soviet Union were approaching a detente in the space race, and a barber-turned-singer with a wild imagination named George Clinton was redefining the possibilities of funk music with his bands Funkadelic and Parliament. That year, Parliament put out two albums, Chocolate City, on which he dared to imagine Muhammad Ali as president and Aretha Franklin as first lady, and the iconic Mothership Connection, which played off another one of Clinton's fantasies, sending Black people to space. He was a huge fan of Star Trek and the science fiction of Isaac Asimov. It would be nearly a decade before Guyon Bluford would become the first Black astronaut to go to space. Clinton felt it was up to him to paint a new tableau of Afrofuturism, with music he guaranteed would put a dip in your hip and a glide in your stride. He described the songs and Mothership Connection as uncut funk, the purest essence of the bass-heavy soul music that James Brown had pioneered a decade earlier. But where Brown was the hardest-working man in show business, Clinton was the hardest partying. Songs like P-Funk, Wants to Get Funked Up, Mothership Connection, Star Child, and the group's first gold single, Give Up the Funk, Tear the Roof Off the Sucker, were instant dance floor anthems. When they hit the road playing two or more hours of uncut Parliament Funkadelic at every gig, they brought their own life-size mothership. The spectacle of the tour, combined with how great the songs are, made Mothership Connection funk's biggest crossover moment into pop to date. It also established the genre as its own musical culture. Here's what the album means to Parliament bassist Bootsy Collins now. When I think about Mothership Connection, I think about it lasting forever. You know, why couldn't that last forever? <laughs> I mean, when, when we were actually doing it, we didn't know that, you know, we were creating this big monster. One, two, three, four, five. Break down, baby. I'm Brittany Spanos, senior writer for Rolling Stone and your host for Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, an Amazon original podcast, where we dig into 10 albums off our new list. In this episode, Parliament's Mothership Connection. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's Rolling Stone senior writer Corey Grow with the full story. Parliament's roots begin in the mid-50s when the word funky still meant really smelly. Instead of cutting records, the group's leader, George Clinton, was cutting hair in Plainfield, New Jersey, when he assembled a group of fellow barbers and his high school buddies to form a doo-wop group he dubbed the Parliaments. Doo-wop was what we wanted to do. We watched Frankie Lyman and the teenagers, and, and from after that rock and roll was just getting started. You know, the Elvises and all of that. Jerry Lee Lewis was my favorite of that kind of music. But all of that was getting big. And everything was blown up like bubblegum. In the 60s, the parliaments moved to Detroit to get closer to Motown and signed with a smaller label called Revelot, which eventually released the ensemble's first hit, I Want to Testify, in 1967. So once we got to, to Motown, I felt that was the epitome of what I wanted to do, R&B. There was no nowhere to go. And then I realized, here come the blues music. Back from Europe, and being bigger than it was before, because that was my mother's music. By this point, James Brown had redefined soul music with a new sound that he called funk. Clinton, who had fallen in love with funk music, shortened the band name to Parliament for one album in 1970, titled Osmium, before establishing a new band called Funkadelic. They were essentially the same group as Parliament, but with an overhauled sound that was kind of a cocktail of James Brown funk, Jimi Hendrix acid rock, and Temptation's soul. Gone were the finely creased suits of the polished parliaments. Instead, when he was on stage, Clinton wore a Native American headdress, a sheet, and not much else, while his bandmates each dressed in their own psychedelic eye-popping way. Who needed LSD when you could just look at Funkadelic or listen to a song like Maggot Brain, one of the most moving and trippiest guitar solos in recorded music? As Parliament and Funkadelic grew, George Clinton was realizing a vision for what he was calling P-Funk. It was bigger than any one genre, one group, or one medium. Now 80, Clinton reflects on how the P-Funk concept brought together ideas from rock, R&B, and musical theater. So I realized, okay, not just an R&B singing group, not just a, a psychedelic band, but it has to be a thing. I, I grew up with West Side Story, I was right there in New York at Drillville when that was being done. Um, hair, I knew everybody in the whole place there. So I really, we had to be a thing, not a group or a band. In order to do what I felt, I wanted to be all Motown in one band or two bands all together. We had producers and writers. So Mothership Connection was the connection of all the people theory. And that's why it got to be so big and had to be such a big production because I intend for it to be for our kids to be able to ride on it, our grandkids to be able to ride the concept out. And it's coming to pass now. Well, all right. Start ya. Parliament, as represented on Mothership Connection, featured eight credited vocalists, six horn players, including Fred Wesley, Maceo Parker, and the Brecker Brothers, four guitarists, notably Gary Scheider, Glenn Goins, and Michael Hampton, four drummers, 
one keyboardist, Bernie Worrell, and a cast of quote-unquote extraterrestrial voices and good-time hand-clappers. Just reading the liner notes, Parliament as an organization seemed like a cast of thousands, and Mothership Connection was their magnum opus, or as George Clinton has called it, a funk opera. Mothership Connection was the next step in George Clinton's vision of Afrofuturism, a giant leap into the final frontier. Clinton was a huge Trekkie and was inhaling books like Chariots of the Gods, which was author Eric Von Deniken's 1968 extended essay about aliens gifting technology to Earth's ancient civilizations. In Clinton's imagination, the extraterrestrials in the book were black. You never pictured it in outer space, just like I don't think we would pitch it as part of this country in the beginning, neither. But it was working out that way. Blackness was it. Black and I'm proud was it. So watching the Star Treks and only seeing Aurora and later on uh, well, the Klingon, <laughs> you know, we had to put our footprint in that. Clinton's cosmic outlook originally caught some of his P-Funk apostles by surprise. Trombonist Fred Wesley was fresh out of James Brown's band when he joined the group. At first, he was questioning whether or not Clinton had actually come from another planet. You know, I, I got to believe it for a while. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, maybe these people are from outer space, you know, they all dress crazy, you know. But uh, 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 George was very convincing. Uh, I, I thought he was, he was actually Dr. Funkenstein, you know. I didn't know I didn't know him really well at first, but I, I, I got to know him and I found out he was a normal person that had crazy ideas, you know. <laughs> Bassist Bootsy Collins had left James Brown's band a few years before Wesley. When he met Clinton, he admired his thirst for knowledge. Because he was a great reader. He he read a lot of books. Actually he turned me on to uh re- reading books. Chariot of the Gods was one of my first books. You know, he turned me on to the Naked Ape. And at first I had no idea what that had to do with music, you know, until we, uh, after um, Up For The Downstroke and we did Mothership Connection, that's when I start clocking in on why George was reading all of these books. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be aware of all of this stuff that was wild and crazy too, because we were all just, you know, doing wild and crazy stuff. And we wanted the music to represent that, you know. For as far out as Clinton's themes and schemes were, though, he wanted to make funk music that was pure and straightforward. The chorus of the first song on Mothership Connection, titled P-Funk, Wants to Get Funked Up, goes, Make my funk the P-Funk, I want my funk uncut. That uncut funk concept resonated with the band, even if the term was just George Clinton joking around. Well, you know that's that was street lingo. You know, you know, you know, you, you didn't want your dope stepped on, uncut. And James, you said that 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 is the purest example of. Of pure funk, you you can OD on that, you know. What I'm saying? James, you know, is like seriously uncut. Funkadelic was probably the next, you know. Neither one of us 
did a lot of elaborate polish on, on records. Bassist Bootsy Collins explains the lingo. We took those words and, you know, like P-Funk, uh, Uncut Funk, that was drug dealer rap, you know? I want my funk uncut, you know? You know, I want my, my drugs straight, you know? I want the pure stuff. I want the pure funk, you know? So all of that stuff was pretty much drug related. And, um, you know, it was just a way of, I guess, communicating with everybody with a new rap, not just new music, but the new rap. Illicit substances, uncut or not, were of course a major catalyst for the P-Funk Enclave's creative process at the time, as Collins explains. I think drugs had a lot to do with it. It's not my advice to, you know, um, to go out and, and do that kind of craziness, you know, because um, you can do craziness without drugs. We just happened to be in that time period to where drugs was really cool. You just created more. I, I probably wouldn't even started writing had I not been into it. A lot of people say, yeah, 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 I was so ahead of your time. I can't take that credit because, you know, we had a lot of help. Like, you know, the acid was, was the P. You know, the cocaine was the P. Everything was the bomb. You know? <laughs> but we abused it. You know, that's that's the key. You know, it's like, um, you know, too much of a good thing. Whether it was the drugs or just Clinton's party master persona, the secret to Parliament's uncut funk was how everyone kept things loose. Most of the Mothership Connection sessions took place at a Detroit studio called United Sound, which Collins calls P-Funk Labs. We stayed right across the street from the studio. So it was like, it was no reason for you not to be at the studio in the morning, other than, you know, you partied all night and didn't get up. And if you missed the session, you just missed the session. You know, we went on without you. And that's the way, that that was the, the law around here, you know? Uh, we funk, we funkin' and we'll funk without you if you don't show up. And it all came through on the record like that. And it was just a, a heck of a time, you know, really. Clinton says the foundation of P-Funk's sessions was the trust he had in his collaborators. I pretty much pick people that I know can do what, the, what it is they do. I wouldn't dare try to tell Bernie what to play. I don't know what the hell he playing. I just know that he's got that down. Bootsy, long as he's playing what he feels, long as he ain't playing the keyboards or something he to, that, that's not his instrument, his fingers know where to go. He ain't got to get involved in it. You know, that, I trust all those things. Gary, anything I want to do, all I got to do is start it off, Gary, or finish it. Like funky method actors, the P-Funk crew would often wear a lot of their stage gear, which could range from big frilly hats to nothing but a diaper while recording, and Clinton would serve as ringmaster. The whole scene was a culture shock for trombonist Fred Wesley. Oh yeah, they, they all dressed crazy. Bernie would have his hat on, and uh, I don't think Gary wore a diaper in the studio, but uh, you know, they, they all had their own style, you know. I, I didn't know what to do at first. I, at first I just, just wore my suit, you know, <laughs> three-piece suit. Can you imagine a three-piece suit uh, with all that craziness, you know? 
And uh, but they, they all came to the studio dressed as themselves, you know, because they all all had their own ideas about what was what was happening. I thought that was a good reason for uh, for the out of space theory, you know. Collins says Clinton offered a much freer atmosphere than his old boss James Brown, who was famous for running a tight ship and finding musicians who made mistakes. It was really a different vibe because we had came from the school of James Brown. And it was all business, you know. Um, and and so to come over there with George Clinton, and you know, we had the the freedom to do and you know anything that we wanted to do, you know, um, share any kind of music that we wanted to share. You know, George was eating it up. It was like, you know, what else you got? What else you got? <laughs> you know, <laughs> to be treated like that was a whole new thing for us. Guitarist Michael Hampton, who still plays with P-Funk today, joined the band shortly before Mothership Connection. At the time, he was only 19 years old. It all seems like a blur to him now. Yeah, those were my um, first sessions. So, I, and then I didn't even know dude was gonna, what the name of the song was going to be. And I, we just was doing sessions like those graveyard shifts, jamming, and you know, I was kind of getting acclimated to something I didn't really even know about what it was, you know. Yeah, might as well been uh, thinking that I was <laughs> coming off a mothership or something. A good evening. I do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show. We will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. A welcome to station W-E-F-U-N-K, better known as We Funk. A big part of what makes Mothership Connection great is the musical interplay between the horn section and the rest of the band. A lot of the magic came from the freedom Fred Wesley felt while writing his arrangements, pairing jazz with funk. I'm strictly from, from the bebop school, and uh, so I wrote a lot of bebop licks, you know, because uh, 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 he, he told me to write what I wanted to write, and uh, I, what I wanted to write was bebop. And so a lot of the tunes would come out real funky because Boosie had done the bass line. You know, Boosie and uh, Gary Shatter, uh, Glenn Gorn, they, they had already done the rhythm. And uh, uh, I, I would add bebop licks with the rhythm, and that, that's the way we operate. For some of the songs, like Give Up the Funk and Handcuffs, Wesley brought in the Brecker brothers, trumpeter Randy and saxophonist Michael, who died in 2007. Randy still vividly remembers one Mothership Connection session, which took place in Manhattan. And it was uh, at a studio on 46th Street. I think it was called Sound Exchange. And they were late getting to the studio. We were kind of sitting around for an hour. And I decided just to get some air. And I don't know, I, I went down to uh, the street level. It's just kind of standing on the sidewalk and about 15 minutes later uh, uh, a kind of beat up station wagon pulled up and lo and behold out poured everyone in the band or several of the guys in the band george and bootsy in particular i recognized in full regalia all dressed up and they had the uh tapes under their arms not even in a box it was just the leader was dragging on the ground and apparently they had driven from Detroit uh, to the to New York City to do the session. 
But the sight of all those cats getting out of the car on the street and they just left the station wagon, uh, they were probably illegally parked. And up the session they went. And uh, we recorded everything that day. Well, all right. Start ya. Citizens of the universe, recording angels. We have returned to claim the pyramid. Partying on the mothership. I am the mothership connection. In a 1985 interview with Spin Magazine, guitarist Gary Scheider, who died in 2010, explained how Clinton wrote songs. He doesn't play an instrument, Scheider said. He plays ears. He can hum it to you. But other than that, he don't play no instrument. Hearing that quote today, Clinton explains how he came up with the music for the song Mothership Connection, Star Child. I used to like um, Louis Jordan. And he would always have the, the horn players singing. And as the background, and I remember myself, and I think I was Glenn, you know, and I started, if you hear any noise, it's just me and the boy hit me. That was the groove, but I knew I wanted a a groove that went, I actually hummed the line to everybody on that particular song. That was one of those ones where I hung the line and everybody just played on it. And Bernie would do what he do, put those colors in there when we go to the change of swing downs, you know. That one was definitely one of those ones where they say, I hummed the melody and it worked. Bootsy Collins remembers how George operated in the studio. He usually comes in and get on this little microphone and just start yamming in our ears. You know, we're trying to get the changes and get the keys. And, you know, he just gets on the little microphone in the control room and just as loud as he can, he just, you know, belling out, swing down, ride on. You know, he's just doing all this crazy stuff and we trying to, you know, hear each other. So, you know, we know where the change is at, the bridge is coming and this, that and the other and change the F, go to E, go to, you know, and George is screaming in the mic. I mean, so we got so used to that, that that's the way we recorded. The song's bridge and outro, when the group transitions into the spiritual Swing Down Sweet Chariot, almost feels like another song, with keyboardist Bernie Worrell, Bootsy Collins, and the horns each playing unique parts, while the vocalists grow the melody. For Clinton, it was an extension of the book Chariots of the Gods. You know, that one just came off the top of my head. Once I said it, I realized what it was, was, okay, it's about this gospel song, Swing Down Street Chariot, stop, and, and I always felt that Ezekiel, Gabriel, all of those were some kind of pictures of alien spaceships, even in the Bible. I, I always compared those to each other. I thought that was, that's what it looked like or sounded like. You know, that was a vision. So, swing down, sweet chair, yeah. Oh, I knew back then. I, we we were thinking church throughout the whole album. Our show starts off funky, but it always ends up, you know, really churchy. You got a lot of gospel out there. 
that got funky. It used to be the other way around. We used to like bite off of the gospel song. Now they bite off of us. Doing it in 3D. So good is good to me. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Another Mothership Connection song with an unforgettable chant is Supergroovalistic Prosafunkstication a word with one more character in the title than supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. On the song, Clinton leads the group by singing, give the people what they want, when they want, and they wants it all the time. I like syllables, you know, super groovalistic prosophistication. I was, I was feeling those um, syllables and give the people what they want when they want and they want it all the time. That that whole um, melodic chant and for chanting and not not a lot of melody in it. That felt good. Trumpeter Randy Brecker says there's a sophistication to Parliament's music that's easy to overlook just because it's so much fun. Oh, yeah, no, it's really sophisticated. It was just, it was funky as hell, but at the same time, the writing and the and just the compositions were, and it was played so well, too. And it's kind of a rubber band, uh, you know, as they said, quality, where it, it just kind of, they might have played to a click track, but it, 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 it expanded and contracted the time. At the forefront in the songs, however, were Clinton's sci-fi theories. Even a song like Night of the Thumposaurus Peoples, with its caveman-like Gaga Guga refrain, fit his concept. Gaga Guga, you know, the Thumposaurus people, you know, Cronasal Sapiens, and all of that, those theories emerged out of all the possibilities I saw and with Rod Berry's themes on Star Trek. I had my own themes about, okay, that's what is, that's what's possible out there, you know, in the galaxies. 
One song he had trouble fitting into the concept was Handcuffs, on which the group's Glenn Goins sang lead vocals. To Clinton, it ultimately worked because of the way the late singer-guitarist, who died in 1978 at age 24, delivered the words. Glenn Goins was just getting with us on that one. You could hear the alien in his voice. Do I have to put my hand cuffs on it? Would you submit to the first human who calls your name? Yeah, yeah. it was about, you know, getting different styles and making it fit that mothership connection. But Glenn Goins was far from alien. Michael Hampton remembers him fondly for giving him an early break in the studio on the song. Real down earth, brother, you know, he's, you know, we always a little crazy, but, you know, he still had uh, a, a sense of style and cla- class about him, you know, that, that comes from whatever he had been through. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's just, he's just awesome, um, awesome brother. Tether off, we're gonna tether off the mother sucker. Tether off the sucker. Tether off, we're gonna tether off the mother sucker. Tether off the sucker. Tether off, we're gonna tether off the mother sucker. For as fun as some of the deeper cuts on Mothership Connection are, none were the party starter that was give up the funk, tear the roof off the sucker. The way that the Beach Boys threw everything that they knew about songwriting into good vibrations, George Clinton made give up the funk, the essence of P-Funk. Bootsy Collins explains. Well, actually, George was in the studio when we did uh, Tatter Roof Off. So he got a chance to actually be in the, uh, in the live room with us instead of wearing us out from the control room. But he pretty much knew what he wanted to do with that track. He said... The whole thing was have as many hooks in the song, in this track, as possible. You know, we want the funk, give up the funk. I mean, you know, and uh, da, 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 da. he wanted all these kind of hooks, you know, gonna turn this mother out. He wanted to give the people all of these different hooks so they could, this song couldn't be denied, you know, and that was his whole concept. For the song, Clinton drew on influences that ranged from jump blues artist Louis Jordan to funk dabbler David Bowie. I was still on that Louis Jordan thing, you know, you got a real type of thing going down. You know, it's just like horn players all singing off key. And matter of fact, we used a bunch of kids that was going home from school to come in and sing over the top of what we were singing. That some of the crowd parts on that. We had, um, you know, like I said, we had horns, so we was trying to show off and not be typical R&B, but it ended up being the most R&B of all. You know, that we want the funk. And the track, the track I really did, I was biting off of David Bowie. Uh, what is that? Fame. Somebody had told him about the one, too. Fame. I remember telling our drummer, Remember this beat on that uh, uh, thing? And went straight to the studio. And we want the funk. Give up that funk. Oh, we need the funk. Yeah, I remember all that. Yeah, definitely been fighting up for that one. <laughs> With one strategic edit, 
one concession to their uncut funk, the group was able to score a radio hit with the song. They told us, you take that intro off, remember, turn the roof off the mother sucker. They said, we cut that off, we'll play it. Once they go on it, I can promise my royalties to the record company, you buy me the spaceship, you can keep the royalties. The song became a major hit, number 15 on Billboard's Hot 100 and Parliament's first gold single. Its success came as a shock to Fred Wesley. No, I, did, I, I didn't think any of it would be a big hit. Like I, I, it was so different, you know? And uh, how could it be a hit if it was that different? But, uh, you know... Uh, when Mothership Connection entered Earth's stratosphere on December 15, 1975, its sleeve pictured Clinton leaping out of the actual prop flying saucer that was used in the 1951 sci-fi classic, The Day the Earth Stood Still. He liked the experience so much that he wanted to do it on every date of P-Funk's 1976 tour. So he went to his record label president, Neil Bogart, and pled his case. Bogart agreed to finance the construction of a functional mothership. The spacecraft was conceived by Broadway production designers Jules Fisher and Peter Larkin. It would descend to the stage with sparks and smoke. When P-Funk guitarist Michael Hampton thinks back on his genesis now, he's still in awe. The mothership thing, it was amazing, you know, to to actually um, to be there and we were rehearsing and at the same time that they were building it in this uh, air, airplane hangar somewhere up, upstate New York. When it came down and it, when they put it together, I, I was under those rockets and uh, I thought that CO2 stuff was going to be I mess up my axis. It was amazing the way they designed the, um, the pullback door of the mothership that landed, uh, that they landed, you know, and, and then George was in the, the, some, the, the elevator inside the, the actual steps, you know, and so all oh, that type of uh, ingenuity was, uh, you know, you had to give a lot to the people that actually built it and, and rigged the stuff. Collins also remembers the surreal experience of performing alongside the prop. Every night on stage, that mothership coming down, I mean, all of that was like, it was as new to us as it was to the, the people that was watching. You know, every night that it came down, it was something you just didn't get used to. For Clinton, the whole spectacle was an opportunity to show how huge funk could be, but it took the group at least a gig to set it up right. You know, we had to start out big. We did the first show in New Orleans and realized that you don't open the show by bringing the band on in the mothership because you can't follow it. We did that one time, and after that, we knew close the show with the mothership, open it with Bootsy, and we had something that was so powerful. Then we didn't we didn't even look back. Partying on the mothership. I am the mothership connection. Get down in 3D. Light year group. Well, all right. Clinton still fondly remembers the shenanigans that accompanied a visit to the mothership by Sly Stone. One time we was touring on the mothership. Sly was touring, was hanging out with us. He wasn't touring. We were just hanging out being, you know, what you do as rock stars, trendy chemical substance, whatever the fuck it is. People hadn't seen Sly for, for a few years. He hadn't played anywhere. He came out of the mothership. 
in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol Center. And when people realized it came down to who it was, they went totally bananas. And it was just at the bottom of the steps. They was going crazy. Then I came out behind him, and I had a long robe on with nothing under it. I opened the robe, and I'm standing up there. Now, they got a big camera thing in the center at the Capitol Center, four screens so everybody could see it. I'm standing up there buck naked at the top of the screen because people didn't stop screaming. He thought they was screaming a little too long. <laughs> then I came down the step right behind him, and he turned around and looked back up at me. He said, oh, fuck you, man. <laughs> and we went on to do the show. <laughs> And he did everyday people. Thanks to the tour and success of Give Up the Funk, the Mothership Connection album was an instant smash. It made it up to number 13 on Billboard's album chart, and by September, the same month that Parliament released their follow up album, The Clones of Dr. Funkenstein, it was certified platinum. But it took a few years before Parliament could witness the true influence they had in music. The Temptations and Rick James sang Give Up the Funk on their 1982 collaboration Standing on the Top. Grandmaster Flash, Public Enemy, Tone Loke, Ice-T, Ice Cube, and Red Man all sampled songs off of Mothership Connection. But no rap artist is as closely associated with Parliament's music than Dr. Dre, who made Star Child the centerpiece of his hit off his 1992 album The Chronic, Let Me Ride. A few years later, he used Give Up the Funk on Snoop Doggy Dogg's breakthrough hit, Who Am I, What's My Name? Dre even called his style of hip-hop G-Funk. The whole Mothership album was on, was on the chronic. Looked like he took the whole album and, and just rapped over it. But even before the chronic, you know, the whole Straight out of Compton, they were on to P-Funk right when we was really hot. You know, when we had One Nation, Knee Deep, Flashlight, Dre, Cube, and all them, they were just getting started when we used to light up L.A. radio. In the clearest sign of Parliament's mainstream acceptance, Give Up the Funk was even featured on a 2010 episode of Glee. Oh, it's been on, it, it's been on so many TV. You know, the Glee, I remember when I heard you know, and then I, we got all excited, you know, because we actually got our copyrights back to a lot of this, all that stuff, you know. And so that was like part of the time when we started beefing up our investigations on all the different places that you get royalty streams coming in. And to this day, we just now getting that, getting the handle on, on all of those things. The legacies of George Clinton, Parliament and Funkadelic have continued to grow. You can still hear it in the music of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, a group Clinton once produced. You can also hear it in the music of artists ranging from Flying Lotus to Janelle Monet. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted nearly all of Clinton's group in 1997, the second year they were eligible, recognizing 16 P-Funketeers. Mothership Connection has become recognized as a classic album. In 2011, the Library of Congress's National Recording Preservation Board added the record to its national registry. As for the mothership prop itself, it's now on display at the Smithsonian Museum's National Museum of African-American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. Clinton says the Smithsonian seemed like the unlikeliest place for it. It was so funny because we had it in storage for a few, couple of years. And, and when I 
started cleaning up my act and paying attention. I found out the storage people was opening up the storage place on Fridays and had a, what they call a raid and would just raise the mothership up and down and charge people $10 to get in. And so we we took the, we took the spaceship back to the recording studio. We kept it in there, yeah. Then eventually gave it to the uh, Smithsonian. Now that the world is caught up with P-Funk, George Clinton and Bootsy Collins look back on the success of the album and era with great pride. They didn't expect the mothership to take off the way it did, so they're happy with the way it landed. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we were out of our way to, to make sure that we could make funk a lifestyle. You know, one one with class. Even though we knew things changed and another style would come in eventually, we planned buck the system, even though they may call it something else. We was going to maintain that it's funk that we, we pledge allegiance to. That word, that name... It was just a, such a great time. I, I would say everybody was so on the one, you know, that we never even thought about, it, you know? It's like we was having a good time. It, to me, didn't one song didn't overcome another song. It was all, to me, like one big jam. Like one big jam party. It wasn't like we were trying to follow a formula. You know, we were coming up with our own formula. Parliament's Mothership Connection ranks number 363 on Rolling Stone's new Greatest Albums of All Time list. Check out the Rediscover Parliament Funkadelic playlist on Amazon Music. I'm Brittany Spanos. This has been Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, an Amazon original podcast. Executive producers are Christian Horde, Hank Schemer, Gus Winner, and myself. This episode was produced by Corey Grow. Our senior producer is Michelle Lands. Mixing by Marquise Neal. Additional production help by Mary Dew. Bridget Shelsey is our production manager. Peter Miller is our music supervisor. Fact-checking by Jonathan Bernstein. Supervising executives for Amazon Music are Nathan Brackett, Morgan Jones, Steph Walkning, and Lauren D. And for Rolling Stone, Jason Fine. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums every Tuesday and hear it first on Amazon Music. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, 
Had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.